Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to my favorite time of the week. And as part of the Inspiring Leadership series, I'm here with Peter Cavanna, who is the CEO of Leaders Romans Group, LRG. Peter, welcome. It's great Thank to you. have you on Thanks the series. Thanks for having me. Um, tell, tell those who are listening a bit about LRG and, and how did you get involved in that? Because you began with just 10 people and now it's a massive business. I mean, just tell us a bit about it. So um, I joined the company in 1991. Um, it was a small company that had been founded by a guy called Dale Norton. Um, it was just a private company based in Sandhurst. Oh, Sandhurst, yeah. Uh, and then um, we worked in that company, we, you know, got to work for some really good people. And then in 2013, the company had grown quite considerably and the business was sold to Beaumark Capital, a private equity company. Uh, they also owned a company called Leaders and in 2016, they merged the two companies together. Um, for me, I wanted to stay on in the company after the acquisition and in 2018, the opportunity to become CEO came around and it was something I was delighted to take the opportunity to do that. Great. Well, we're talking the extra session about mergers mm. and private equity because it interests us all and, and a lot of people get involved in that. But uh, achieving all that you've achieved, who were the couple of two or three people who've inspired you? I think you mentioned your first one was your mum, wasn't it? Yeah, my mum. So my mum came from Southern Ireland, uh, grew up on a farm, one of ten children, and I think growing up she absolutely wanted um, her children to um, do as well as they could for themselves. So she definitely gave me a really good work ethic, um, but also to understand the importance of um, humility and how you treat people properly mm. during life. Very good. Um, and then I think um, from a business point of view, she said I got to work with Dale, uh, Dale had founded Rome, I think, true entrepreneur. Uh, Dale Norton. Dale so, true entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, and the things I always enjoyed about uh, working with uh, Dale was you know, his willingness to make brave decisions. Yeah. yeah. And then I think, you know, over the time we've worked for a lot of leading house builders, and I've really enjoyed getting to know and working with a lot of um, sort of owner occupiers. So, people like uh, Philip Davis, who founded Linden Homes before he sold that. Um, Tony Pidgey still at Barclay um, and the thing I always admired about them was just their uh, drive and determination to build their businesses and the passion they had for them. Yeah and you were saying that, that once they'd made the money it wasn't the money after that it was it was what winning and well, growing. I, I, yeah I think for them it's never about money it's about passion for what they're doing and for their business and I think you know for wanting to do bigger and better yeah um, and you know I think that's what you know, both of them have continued to do, and I think when you're still working in your seventies and have the same drive and passion, yeah, um, that's incredible to to witness. I was I was at a charity event, a big uh, property charity right. event, and uh, Tony was there, and I got right. to chat with him. Found a very interesting guy, uh, real down to earth kind yeah, of character. Absolutely. Yeah, and then as leaders, we all um, learn as we go along, and we continue learning as um, as we discussed earlier. You, you must have made your share of mistakes. What would be one of the mistakes that you'd share, and, and what did you learn from it? Well, I mean, I think there's you know there's lots of mistakes, isn't there? There, you know, we make mistakes around people, 
uh, we make mistakes when we're doing work. Um, I think the main thing I've probably learned is rather than try and, I think you need to make a judgment very quickly and if you're wrong, it's much better to put your hand up and say, look, we're wrong, yeah. I'm really sorry, and now how are we gonna rectify it? Because you can just move on a lot quicker um, and not let people become too defensive about or worry that we've made a mistake. Yeah, I think that's so true. Um, I think uh, one of the questions I always ask CEOs is, uh, when was the last time you were dead wrong? First question, you, and it's interesting <laughs> to hear, it's interesting to hear how quickly they respond to that one. And the second one was, how quickly did you realize that you were wrong? And the third one is, um, and then how quickly did you act on it, admit you were wrong? And, and you just really touched mm. on that, that, that it, it, you do need to respond quickly and admit um, when things when things aren't working out, because then you can do something about it, can't you? Yeah, you can, and, and, and we all make mistakes every day. There's mm. no doubt about it. And um, I think also uh, when you're in a really senior role, it's important that the people who work closely with you understand that making mistakes is not a problem as well. Yeah. They can you know come and talk about it, and then we can agree what we're going to do. Yeah, um, you just get through it much quicker. Yeah. Well, I, I think back to uh, one of my old sergeant majors who, who were very down to earth and mm. very blunt. And he said, look, sir, he said, let me put it this way. He said, if you've got a cut and you tell me about it, I can put a plaster on it mm. and we can get it better. He said, if you keep quiet about it for six months, it's got gangrene. I have to take you into the surgeon. We have to saw off the soggy <laughs> end. He said, that's no good, is it? No, so look, just tell me early on and we can do something about it. But don't hide it. Mm. Because if you hide it, it then festers and, and gets much worse. And I'm sure that's, you know, in, in any business, and you've probably seen that, is, is when people disguise, hide, lie about things, and then it eventually emerges months, years later, that becomes a problem, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so, and I, I think you, the danger is the longer you let it run, the more damage you do to your business and the brand yeah. of your business, and you know, I think actually what most people just want you to do is put it right, Yeah, and, and don't prolong the pain for them yeah. by, by denying, so I think yeah, that's my advice. You just, Sort it out. Sort it out. That's good advice. And then, if you were to leave people with a sort of top tip, mm. what would your top tip leadership be for people, and and, and why would you choose that one? Um, in terms of, I suppose my my top tip for people is just to be about be yourself, um, and that treating people the way that you want to be treated yourself mm. is so true. Um, and I I think that if people feel comfortable and they know what they're coming into, so if you're calm collective, measured, yeah. people know what to expect every day. I don't think you get the best from people when they come into an uncertain situation where they don't know which version of you you're yeah. gonna get. Yeah, no, that's very true. And, and I think someone being authentic and also not shouting and screaming. Some, yeah, some misleaders, as I call them, mm. or um, um, uh, sort of expiring leaders, the one who suck the life out of you like Harry Potter's Dementors. <laughs> they, they, they think that they can shout and scream and people would admire them or do more, but they don't, do they? They don't. And I, do you know that I think being a CEO of any company is a real privilege. Um, but your, your, your responsibility for the whole business and for everyone in it is definitely not about you as a person. And I think anyone who thinks it's a, a platform for them and their ego, yeah. you're never going to be successful. Yeah, no, that's very true. Peter, thank you very much for very being welcome. on the thank show. You. It's really good having you here. Thank you. Hello, I'm Jonathan Bowman-Perks and welcome back to Inspiring Leadership Extra where Peter and I carry on talking about 
leadership lessons and um, his experience in uh, Leaders Roman and, and different leaders he's worked with. Uh, we're also going to talk about mergers um, and, and sort of lessons from teams. Um, Peter, earlier we were, we were talking about um, your mum from, yeah. from Southern Ireland and my wife's um, from, uh, from Ireland as well, so it's, it means something to me. Uh, and and you were you were she was one of ten I think one of ten yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and then I love that story when you were going to go and visit say a bit about the competitiveness well, I mean, of mum you know I think my probably from an early age uh, I realised obviously that there was an awful lot of com- competition between my mum and her brothers and sisters and um, so a couple of things I always remember whenever we were going to visit uh, any of her brothers or sisters in the car on the way there so I've got a younger brother elder sister we'd always get the brief on um, what we were to say about how we were doing at school and things like that. <laughs> and actually, um, years later, when um, I got my degree and we went to the, the oh, right, degree well ceremony, um, my mum brought along my brother and sister, and what I didn't realise she was going to try and do was get a picture of them wearing the um, cape and the cap. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, uh, she wasn't able to do that, much to her disappointment. So, so you're going to try and tell all her relations that you're all, all three got of them have got the same degree at the same time. So, uh, but you know, and and it is funny. But I think the the other thing which for me I was sort of growing up is um, uh, so she made sure that all three of us had a part time job. All right. Yeah. So by the age of um, thirteen, um, but of course, you know, if anyone asked, I was fifteen. <laughs> Uh, so I worked in a fruit shop um, every night of the week and all day Saturday. Right. And I also had a paper round. So I just had no chance to get up to anything or yeah. any mischief. But what was, and my brother the same, my sister the same, what was really good about that is that you just have a really good work ethic. Yeah. Um, you, you learn the value of you know, money and saving, um, but also that point um, as well in, that she was always really keen on is that, you know, and I think because she came from a big family, you know, no one having a big ego, you know, everyone being sort of humble. And That's that was, quite important. That's which, really important. Was really important. I, I think, you know, my mum, who, um, Yorkshire, Yorkshire woman, mm. and uh, we grew up in Halifax, and um, she was widowed when she was just 35. My oh, father was okay. killed flying, and uh, his hat's behind there, um, his Navy hat. And um, so she was always this one about don't, don't get too full of yourself, yeah. you know, keep that humility. And, and if you ever got a bit cocky, she'd, she'd just yep. bring, bring it down. It sounds like your mum did the same. Absolutely. But that, that work ethic probably carries into what you do now. I mean, how many hours do you reckon you work a week? Um, Honest, you know, yeah, on no, emails honestly, and I mean, stuff I, like that. I, and... I, so I try to get to work when I came to about 7.30. Yeah. Um, I would always aim to finish between 6 and 6.30. So, um, you know, I, you know, I suppose, so I suppose probably fifty to fifty-five hours a week. Yeah. Try really not to do stuff at the weekend, um, and it's interesting now because you know my. Um, so, so a couple of things for me I think are important about that, and I think particularly if you've got a senior role, it's visibility. So yeah. people can see that you are there, you are working every day, and you're trying to achieve the same things that they are. I, I struggle sometimes with um, absent leaders. Yes. You know, for me, I, you know, I think being a CEO of a company like LRG is a real privilege. So, you know, I think I'm there to to try and help everyone that I can. So, I think you've mm. got to be there. I think not being there because you're doing something else 
that's not to do the business isn't right. Yeah. Um, because you, you've got to influence and persuade. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, when you began with the, just the 10 of you, it's mm. follow me. Mm. But then how many have you got working for you now? Actually, in total, there's probably about 2,000 2, people. Yeah, there's a lot of people. It's a lot of people. Yeah, we're just talking about the fact that um, when you've got such a big business, yep. 2,000 people, how do you... Um, well, we're, control it all. We're in a 160 plus location. So wow. on any given day, you've got no idea whether everyone's open. Yeah. Um, I think, to be honest with you, and I, I, I would say when you, if I talk to the people I work with regularly every day, um, and particularly when people join, I think the one bit of feedback you probably get um, from them is if you're recruiting senior people, um, you trust them. Yeah. to get on yeah. um, and I think most people really do enjoy the fact that if you're there to talk and help and give some guidance that's great but more than anything you trust them mm. um, and you don't micromanage them because it's impossible yeah. to do that yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't see the point of recruiting and having people in your business at whatever level if you don't trust them yeah yeah. you're never going to grow otherwise business. you might as well get rid of all of them do yeah. it all yourself do it all yourself and, and, you and, and I do see this when CEOs are under pressure yeah that they they end up trying to do it all themselves and it gets worse and worse because then of course they don't get enough sleep um, the decisions they make are bad and then they have to spend a lot of time unwinding them uh, people don't want to actually tell them the truth because they, no, they get they get scratchy um, you know it goes, goes badly wrong we were having a really interesting conversation when we first met about um, the fact that you've got uh, leaders and Romans mm. and you've got the private equity backing yep. and they brought the two together in a merger. Uh, I've been involved in, mm. in mergers. I've been involved when I was in um, uh, PricewaterhouseCoopers. Right. Um, they took the consulting arm and actually it got acquired by IBM. But it, it, was, quite, it was quite a tricky time and a lot of uncertainty for people at all levels. Um, just your lessons from mergers. Um, what what's the reality of it that people just got to face up to? But they often rather go in naively, thinking, "Oh, this is going to be fine." You know, what what do you find? Well, I think you, that point's absolutely true. I think you know when I look back to our merger in twenty sixteen, you know, everybody's really excited. You know, because everyone feels it's going to be really good. And then, excuse me, I think the reality is, you, you know, in any merger. You know, businesses emerge for a number of reasons, but quite often one of them is, you know, because there are cost synergies, yeah. um, and cost synergies is people. Yeah, it's mainly people, and it's mainly people at a senior level. Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately, you will have two of everything. Yeah. And at some point, then you have to start to think, well, we don't need two of everything. And I think what's quite hard on that is um, you've got people who have done a fantastic job. They've worked in the company quite often from right at the very beginning, they've seen it grow, and now it's become something much bigger. Mm. And then it's really hard because those people are emotionally mm. attached to a, a business. Mm. You're talking about people who've maybe been there 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. That's really hard, I think, then to um, sit down and try and explain to people that actually their time is probably up or their role's redundant, yeah. however yeah. you do it. I suppose, I mean, the main um, lesson I probably think from it is it comes back to you yourself. And I think if you're able to um, build relationships with people and to be able to empathise with them yeah. and explain that it's not, this is not personal, it's not you, 
but it's part of the role that you know we do need to streamline the management team we do you know however you look at it yeah. I think it do, people do find it a bit easier and and I also think you know the other part about it is those people have generally done a fantastic job so treating them with the respect they deserve when you're talking about that is really important yeah um, because I think it is um, it's hard for the person telling them and it's really hard for the person receiving it and I, and I think that's you know yeah. the main thing I've learned out of it is how you do that and yeah. and that you should do it with senior people yourself yes don't get yeah no no the HR don't, director don't, do don't, don't dodge the bullet no don't don't take don't, it. don't uh, that's the one moment mm. that you're paid for I, I worked for a brigadier when I was his chief of staff mm. and uh, he said really in many ways my main role as mm. brigade commander CEO really was to find good people yeah develop them and then fire them if necessary and and, and, yeah. and nothing everything else is a bit secondary yeah but if you've got good people they will lead the business and help it fly yeah, um, and, and I I have known some good CEOs who've had these really quite heart-rending conversations with people who they hired maybe 10 years ago and yeah, now, now they're having to let them go who they leave actually been in some some cases godparents to yeah. some of their yeah, children yeah. they certainly got to know each other really well through their highs and lows uh, some some of life setbacks in this point and now they're as it were as one of them called it helping them find their happiness elsewhere <laughs> but yeah. because yeah. You, you have to you have to say look it, it isn't it, i think he said be be firm in the decision this person is the one who's going to have to go. Be kind in the execution. So help them leave the organisation with good grace and dignity in the way that they joined. Absolutely. So that they're still one of your ambassadors rather than hating you for it. And and sometimes I've found, years later, even when I've done this, people have come back to me and said, look, thank you. You know, you, you helped me leave with good grace. And actually it was the right thing for me anyway because now I've gone on... I mean, for example, when I left Penner... Um, essentially myself and a colleague there was a restructure we were one of mm -hmm. six managing directors it didn't really work out we arranged to get made redundant we agreed with the ceo that you know our roles could be made redundant and and actually thank goodness because both of us have gone on to do other things mm. and i'm here with you and uh, my colleague graham is running a very successful business for himself but it, we were you can sometimes be a bit stuck in a rut anyway you haven't yeah. realized it and leaving is probably going to be good for for reigniting yep. that get you get your grip sort yourself out and with t i'm always interested in teams mm. um ceos um in fact our, our next book is inspiring ceos and their and their teams their boards how have you found you've got a good team around you because i presume you have your own executive we do yeah we do yeah um and then later on let's talk a bit about when a team doesn't go right but how, how have you brought a good team around you uh, well i mean we've been through a lot from the day of the merger and you know there have been a number of changes um, that have happened um, I, I work closely with four other people which is the um, CFO CIO and uh, two people who run two parts of our business so we work very closely as a five but then they will have their own teams around them as well so I mean, it's interesting because when you merge, obviously it becomes a bigger company. One of the things I would say you then need to realise is your business is more attractive to people who want to work for a bigger company. 
so we've definitely been able to attract people to yeah. work for us that we would not have been able to attract before okay. so yeah. I think sometimes you you know going back to what you were just saying there about when people leave you have to as you say make a firm decision that we're going to make a change yeah but then the positive part is generally you're making a change because you want to bring in someone who you feel is going to improve your team yeah yeah. That's very um, true because I've seen as businesses grow and, and I've been part of smaller mm. businesses growing and, and bigger businesses as well, that for each of the different phases of development mm. of an organisation, yeah. you need different kind of people. You do. I mean, the, the old classic Estelios as an entrepreneur yeah. getting it going, he hung on in there, but actually he probably wasn't the right man for the next phase. They probably needed somebody different. I think that is true. I think it is true. and it's, So I think um, actually for me in terms of team, I mean, I, I play team sports. So oh, I, do. What, what, uh, well, sports? I, I love playing football. Yeah. Uh, I like playing cricket. So I think, for me, if you've played team sports, you understand that you know teams win, individuals yeah. don't win. Well, you, you remind me of uh, we had David Heron uh, was on one of our earlier oh, right, ones okay. and the CEO of Wilton and Bain. David's a big rugby player, yeah. played for Leicester Tigers. Mm. And, and for him, it's always a sporting yeah. analogy. So, so do you find yeah. that helps you think Yeah, I think it does because yeah. I think, and actually I think when you look at... Um, from a business point of view, so many of the key speakers that we all like to go and listen to are ex-sports people. Yeah. And when you look at them, most of them are ex-team sports people. Yeah. And we all want to get that insight into how how did you bring a team together? Or more importantly, how did you take on a team and improve it? Mm. And, and I think because it's so visible, yes. for us, we can all see what it was like before. We, we feel we know the individual, so we can see the improvement. Um, but I think, you know, it's, uh, I mean, we've obviously done different, um, we, we've worked with different trainers before in terms of, you know, how you bring a team together. I was going to say, have, have you we have got a team coach, have you developed your team, have you done 360, what, what have yeah, you Yeah, so we, we, on merger, we had a lady called Jo Hennessy, who um, was a, a coach who came and worked with us. And Jo really helped, I think, to bring everybody together. And I can, uh, I remember one of the training sessions we did with Jo that, you know, because there are, um, on a merger, people have got, you know, there are things that people don't like and sometimes people carry that baggage. And I remember one of the training sessions we did that you had to write down the things that still really bothered you about the merger. And then once we talked about them, you had to screw your paper up, walk up, put it in the bin and say, that's it, it's gone. And whilst, you know, sometimes you can think, oh, okay, well, that's, that's you know, it's a bit of um, show to do that. Actually, it wasn't. It was really important because you think, you know, when you come back to talk to people later, you think, well, I thought we've, we've dealt with this. We've, we've yeah. had it out. We've, yeah. we've aired it and we've got rid of it. Well, you make me laugh because um, the, the uh, approach is a very mm. smart one. And I, I had a, a CEO who um, something was bothering about what had gone on. Mm. He needed to move on with it. And I suggested to him he took a pebble and he wrote with a felt tip right. on the pebble the, the person's name and what he was grumbling at <laughs> and then take it to a lake and throw it That's in. Right. Anyway, I get this video. He goes, Jonathan, here we are. And he's there mm. with his wife by the lake and he takes the pebble he mm. writes on and he goes, woof, and he throws it off into the lake. He goes, there you go. And you can see this pebble disappear. He goes, right, done now. We're done. And, and seriously, he said it just cleared his mind and you know, writing on a piece of paper what you yeah. find frustrates you about something, a situation you're in, a merger order, then screwing it up and putting it in the middle, letting go of it. It's almost like, Quite symbolic. It's, yeah, the, the biggest bit of advice that uh, someone gave me about us as leaders mm. and particularly CEOs is we try and control everything. Oh, absolutely. And, and those three words, let it go, mm. on many of the things really helps. And letting it go with all that stuff, it's not 
it's not adding it's actually detracting from people's performance. No, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And say, I know it's symbolic in terms of how you do it, but it, it's funny because it does make a difference. And I think then when you, I found after that, when you're sitting with those people, you think, well, we've dealt with this. We, yeah. It's not going to come up again. Yeah. Um, and okay. actually, I think um, the one of the other things that came out of the merger, the, the, the people that probably, you know, it's not bad news for everybody. For a lot of people, it's, mm. it's about opportunity as mm. well. Oh, yeah. Um, so... You know, some people don't want to do it, um, so they, they're going to leave anyway. Yeah. Some people think that they want to do it, they might not be able to, but then you've got a group of people who think this is the best thing that ever happened. And, and this is where mm. your job as the CEO is to, is to almost reach down to the organisation yeah, and, and find good people yeah, and bring them up. Do you, do you have a way of doing that? Yeah, how do you, how I mean, do you spot the talent and bring it on? Well, I think um, it, it probably becomes harder, I think, as the business gets bigger, because you know, so we work over... 160 locations so it's just, and, and you're acquiring all the time aren't we you? are and it's just not possible to do that I think what you you know so we have a senior management team of sort of 12 13 people within their business so we do look at succession planning so we do look at the rising stars but actually yeah. in both well all of our businesses we still have we are a sales business by and large we do provide um, other property advice but by and large we're a sales business whether it's selling or letting so we have awards, um, we have them quarterly and we have them annually. And I always think it's interesting that people not in our industry think that awards don't mean anything. Um, and I would just say you're so wrong because if you go to those events, and I do go to them, um, and I get to speak or I get to present, when you see people winning, you know, it comes back to the team thing. Winning is fantastic for people. And so I suppose in terms of how do you recognise people, mm. having an award structure and as long as it's um, the way in which it's put together you know people know what the rules are and they know what they have to do to win mm, so mm. they win on merit I think that's a really good way of um, spotting the people that are coming through I think it is I think it is no I, and I think um, you know when you've got sales driven organizations mm. um, it, it does bring out that that hunter killer kind yeah, of thing um, and that's great when they're what I using calling it for green energy mm. for growing the business yeah. but when they use their need to win with their com their colleagues mm. that's red energy and it destroys the business it can eat up the culture make it quite toxic what what have you done when you find those people are, are aiming their target at their colleagues rather than at growing the business how have you handled that I think, it will happen I think it? it is interesting because I, I think if I look back to when we were a very young company you definitely have those people who they're there for themselves and they don't really care yeah, I always think they've got no rear view mirror so they're not interested yeah. in the collateral damage that all they're going to do is they're going to carve a path for themselves yeah that's very true. and actually when you look at them we have them for most of them don't stay very long no rear view mirror I like and that. you know they don't actually when you think they they create a lot of headline noise but when you actually look at how much of what they do actually comes mm. through to anything yeah. solid. It's not as much as you think. No, no. And then, so I think, you know, as you go through and the business evolves, you, we definitely have people in our business who probably when they were a lot younger were more aggressive, but like everyone over time, you know, that you, you learn and you t uh, temper your style, don't you? you know what works, you know what do doesn't work. So I think in terms of how we stop that now, I think, things have changed where it's much more customer service focused so it's yeah. about the type of person we're looking for 
Um, I would also say a generation on, we have a much better mix of male and female than we mm. used to have. So I think that's also really healthy because I think that helps to keep things um, uh, probably on an even keel. The way in which you reward people, so you reward teams, not individuals. That's very clever. Um, yeah. And I think that's really that's important. That's so important. I mean, what gets measured gets done. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I come across organisers go, I can't understand it. They're not behaving this way. So, well, how are you, how are you rewarding yeah. them? What are you measuring? Have you got a um, you know balanced scorecard yeah. where you know customer service is important yes. and teamwork yeah. is important? Are you just rewarding them for their individual behaviour? Yeah. They go, yeah, we are. Well, I say well, you'll you'll get that. But that's what you will get. You will get that. I think you know then a lot of the training we would do would be about. Uh, so we we promote heavily having a very um, positive culture yeah. within the business, and I think that helps. And I think then what starts to happen is you develop your own DNA, don't you? So that. When you interview people, you think, whilst I'm sure they're going to be a fantastic salesperson, actually they're not going to fit us culturally. Yeah. So I think if you if you focus more on your culture, um, you know, and, and what the culture of the business is and how you want it to be, you will recruit people that will work better in your culture. Very good. So I think we would tend to, you know, I do still interview, still do recruit people, but the, for me, more than anything, you you almost think that the technical part of the job should be a given yeah so then it comes down to what you're going to get as the person what are they going to be like culturally spot on so someone said to me it's knowledge skills and attitude yeah. ksa the, the knowledge and the skills can be developed yeah. but the attitude if the attitude stinks yeah. you'll never really change it it's part of their their character but it was interesting you're saying that you know you're doing the interviews and you check them out and they'll mm -hmm. fit in the culture one of course the challenges you've got is um, there's that old picture of um, four guys in pinstripe suits and bowler hats and they've got a chap sitting opposite them in the interview panel in a pinstripe suit and a bowler hat and the little line at the bottom says, we think you'll fit in round here Jenkins. <laughs> and uh, how do we cope with diversity, inclusion, um, you know, black ethnic minority, different gender, sexual orientation, how, how do you make sure you're making your firm really diverse and inclusive because that's a challenge isn't it well I mean it's a huge thing isn't it and then you know I mean I'm I suppose like you know 57 now the the I, st I think if you deal with um equality first two-thirds of our work for work for force are female good um and more and more uh, work are working their way through so on our main uh, management team about uh, it is pr pretty well 50 50 now the thing that's probably surprised me in my working life is how long it has taken yeah. um, and how long it's going to continue to, to take um, mm. for, you know, I think, everyone to feel that everyone's got the same opportunity. Yeah. Um, we have a really good range in terms of age. Our youngest main board director is early 30s and then you've got people like me, late 50s. And you absolutely do need that, that mix yeah. because otherwise you're just going to have a load of people who are late 50s making decisions for people that Correct. they don't understand. Uh, one of the things, uh, I'm a member mm. of the Goldsmiths Company, one of the things we're introducing is not only mentoring by the older and the mm. younger, but reverse mentoring by the younger members, the millennials particularly, and people from mm. Asian and um, yeah. different ethnic backgrounds of the, the leaders of the organisation. So they say, do you understand how we see this mm. and how you come across? Mm. Are you aware of the decision you just made and how that might land well or badly? Have you ever tried reverse mentoring? Uh, I haven't actually, no. It's a really good one. So just start introducing it, where you pick some of the younger members in mm. your organization to come and sit in 
Right. On some of your board meetings. Okay. Uh, it's fascinating because, of course, they then go back. They'll, and I remember the, the last Lord Mayor of London, Peter Eslin, who oh. I coached in when he was the CFO in Barclays. And Peter said, I still remember when I was a young lad in a, a school. It was a, we didn't have much money. It was a difficult school. But the Lord Mayor came and talked to us. Mm. And, he t and he gave me a view of what it could be yeah. like. And afterwards, I had a chat with him. And in fact, he invited me to Mansion House and I had a chat with him. Oh, I was, must have been 17, but I was ambitious. And I, I said, I want to do your job one day. And here I am, just been the Lord yeah. Mayor. And, and so I just think, you know, if you pick some talented people down mm, at the bottom point, yeah. and you make them your reverse mentors, they come into a couple of sessions and, and if the leaders are genuinely interested in their opinion, they say, what did you think of that meeting? And how would that have gone down? And how did it land with the mm. people? They have to sign some certain disclosures and stuff like that because they don't want to be gossips. Yeah, absolutely. So they can give you some great advice and they'll learn as well. I mean, I think the, I mean, we do a lot more in terms of engagement surveys. That's good. Uh, so things I think have improved um, for us is everyone who joins goes on the induction. Um, I think it's hugely valuable. We have a great induction. Local, is good. Chris Wilkinson, he does a really good induction. He makes sure that, you know, I'll attend as many as I can, but all of the senior people How long do. are they? A couple of days? A couple of days. Yeah, we um, did the same when we were in Penna. And, they, and, they and are it's great. Good. And then you stay over in a hotel or something yeah. and you get to be with all these other people from different branches and then you've got a network, haven't you? Yeah, and I think you get, I think also the feedback that they like is when senior people come and talk to them about the yes. company and what they feel. Yeah. That's really good. And Very good. I'm always interested, why do people leave their previous employment? And it's generally because they don't feel they can progress or they feel they're just a number or, you know, it's the same thing. With that. What's that old saying? People join great firms, they leave poor managers. Yeah, they do. And it is true. Yeah. And, you know, so I think having a really good induction is good. I think, I would say for any business, running um, staff engagement um, surveys that people know that they they can say what they feel because you sit there and think, okay, there are, there are things here that we can work on. Um, our HR director, Hannah, um, she also does an Ask Peter, so we get questions, and then some of them you read, uh, what people say, and you think, okay, well, we could, we could, we could sort that out quite quickly, we yeah. could correct that. So I think being prepared to have feedback um, That's is very really good. important. You, um, you remind me of another CEO, he said what, what he does is he wanders around, he said, yeah, absolutely. if you were CEO, mm. what one, and there was one thing that I could do to make things better what for the business, do? what would it be? But then he acts on it. And I'm sure you're, you're the kind yeah, of yeah, and, and I think it's uh, so. I will try and go to as many of the branches as I can. Um, I will be linked with as many people who work for us on LinkedIn as I can because they're going to post um, success. And I think it's great to be able to comment. Um, Do you find LinkedIn quite a good medium? I I like it for um, the fact that it's a really good way to be in touch and aware of a lot of the people who work for you and um, individual success they're having. And if they're promoting it and themselves on LinkedIn, then it's a great way to read yeah. that. And it's a fine line, as, as uh, Roger Steer, a friend of mine, said, um, you can sometimes get their humble bragging. Oh, yeah. look at me, I've just yeah. climbed Everest. Okay, you're fine. Yeah. And, it, and it's a bit of bragging. But if it's done in the right way, Absolutely. I think yeah, it can be very helpful. Um, as we come towards the end, just uh, and, and we'll, we'll end with one of your, another of your top tips, if we could. Um, what do you do when you've got a bad apple in an exec team um, and you know it's affecting the culture that's going on because I'm really interested in you know inspiring CEOs and their teams but you know one of the, the leaders said to me you know I, I knew quite a long time ago I should have got rid of them but I did it I, I, I was hoping they might change and they never did you know and uh, what what have you done when when the, you've got someone and it clearly isn't working so <laughs> I would say um, 
you it helps if you've got a real strong people focus because I think you're then very aware of people mm. and your and probably your antennae goes up quite quickly if you think there's something that's not quite right. Yeah. Um, I think you know sometimes, it, especially to, I mean, it's rather than it being there's not one answer to it. If it's someone that's previously been a really good performer, really important member of the team, and this is out of character, yes, then I think you know for me, I definitely would want to sit down and find out. It, you know, are you aware that this is what you've been like yeah. and is there a reason why yeah. because you That's know no, none That's of us good. are going to go through life without having our own challenges and setbacks and unfortunately sometimes they come into to work because it's impossible to leave them out but I think it's a business um, and I'm really pleased that there's much more focus around mental health yeah. that you can sit with people and it might be it's a relationship breakup they might have had a bereavement there might be something mm. now mm. some things you can't help with but some things you can no, that's very good so you know, I think from that point of view, before you make a decision to think, right, well, we're just going to get them out, you need to understand what's, what's driving the behaviour and then yeah. think, is that something, if this is someone who's good, can we get them back to the point where they're still a valuable member yeah. and we can help them? Because I, I think, um, yeah, again, from a CEO point of view, trying to make sure that you are aware of the people you particularly work with to make sure everything's okay and if it's not, what are you going to do to yeah. support them? Yeah. If it's someone who... I mean, I suppose if it's someone who's just a very difficult person that doesn't fit culturally, who doesn't work to all the um, values that you have, I think it goes back to what we said, I think you've just got to sit down with them and just say, look, I don't think this is going to work for either yeah. of us. Yeah. How are we, gonna, how are we just going to bring this to conclusion yeah. for both of us? And, and I think, but it goes back to what I said to you before, Jonathan, I just think at that level you should be doing it yourself, yeah. not through your HR team and, no. and ducking the issue. Definitely not. Definitely not. Brilliant. So Peter, final final thought. What would be um, the the top tip that you'd leave people with? A leadership tip about being a more inspiring leader. I, I mean, more than anything, I'd just say just be yourself. Mm. Um, and I think if you are um, if you are just a very calm, consistent, measured person, you won't accept bad performance. But people know you and and know a bit about you. Yeah. So sometimes I think giving people a bit of yourself as well that they they know a bit about what it is in your life that's important but I think it, you know just being yourself more than anything because I think that's the bit that people want to know what they're coming into what what it's going to be like they don't like uncertainty and a mask they and don't a like mask. they don't no. um, they want so the genuine guy I think you know being prepared to be yourself is the main thing I would say to people grand Peter thank you very much indeed you very it's been a real thank pleasure you. and you, you've got a lot of wisdom that you've shared with people and I'm sure they'll enjoy I know thank you thank you very much So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, Get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.